0: A few things to tell you as we begin here. Uh, first of all, I want to thank Brent. I want to thank Gary and Ron for leading us in our worship as we remain open to God's Holy Spirit. Appreciate the things that they said and the things that they reminded us of. Thank you to Gary for extending that that welcome. I, I felt what he felt. That it's good to see friends that we haven't seen in a while. It's good to meet new people that we haven't seen. It's good to see um, uh, to see the folks that. We see every week, or more than every week. Of course, every time that we have a gathering like this, you're always, you're always reminded of how quickly things change. This weekend, we said goodbye to our brother Tom King. And one of the things that may not, I need to tell you this because this is probably not in all of your bulletin announcements and everything, but his services are scheduled for tomorrow at 2 p.m. at Ocker Putnam Funeral Home in Jenny Lynn. I got that right, didn't I? That was okay. So that's tomorrow, and that's, that's a pretty quick turnaround on the news there. But I want you to know that. So we say goodbye to Tom. We know that Tom, he, he put his faith in Jesus Christ, and so we rejoice at the same time that we were grieved. Gary told you to put your prayer requests on those cards. He said that we pray for those, and he's absolutely right. We are serious about that. Some of our young people, some of our others, every week they've been putting on there. I want you to pray for David Luna because he's going through treatments. David Luna's here today, and he was here to say hello to all of you. His um, his mom wanted me to know that too. And so we, we pray, and we give thanks to God. That's why we do this. This is why we gather. Because we need to we need to be mindful of these things. We need to pay attention to these things. Uh, you know, the other thing I think I need to tell you because I couldn't tell you last week. I don't know what the, the, the final count is today. But last week we gave our gifts and we gave our pledges to missions. We had a goal of 247,103. Now the last that I checked, we have reached 192,000, somewhere in that neighborhood. So we're about 55,000 away from meeting the goal. Some of you haven't had the opportunity to give. You haven't had the opportunity to make a pledge yet. I encourage you to do so. Not just because I'm anxious and want to get to that 247.103, but I don't want you to miss out on the good things that God is doing, and I don't want you to miss out on the opportunity to give. I don't want you to miss out on the opportunity to share in the Master's happiness. So, we'll trust God. I like what Josh said, we'll trust God to fill in the gaps and uh, there's still time. So talk to me if you have any questions. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we come to you now asking that your spirit would continue to maintain control and operation of all that we do as we gather together. And Lord, for some of us who are white-knuckled and we like to hold on to the wheel and make sure that everything goes our way, we repent. And we ask that You would bless us. For those of us who are ready to respond to what You're doing in worship today, Father, I thank You for them and I pray that You would be with them and work in their hearts. Father, for those of us who don't have any idea what I'm talking about in this prayer, we ask that You would be with them too. And be with me, because we trust in you, and trust does not require us to understand and control everything, but it does require us to be obedient. And so I pray that you would help us as we all have something to learn. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, it was kind of a weird prayer, but it was the best I could do. And, um, you know, you're not supposed to laugh during a prayer. The... Um, let me, let me let me say this because we're we're getting into some Holy Spirit territory, and uh, I know that that can be unusual. I want you to know that I'm one of those. I I, I I'm not. Holy Spirit stuff is not natural to me. Okay. I, I guess it's it, it's like the changes in technology that happened this morning. This what I have in my hand. This is a dial, okay, from a and it comes off of a, an electric heater. And they used to have these things called knobs. And uh, Star Trek lied to us because in the future everybody has knobs and switches and lights and all that. Now all that's gone. You talk to Siri and, you know, that that's a mistake. But um, this dial broke this morning and it made me think, you know, there's very few things like this when it comes to technology that break. I've noticed that current technology doesn't really break. We don't blow fuses. We don't have to replace fuses. We don't have to replace tubes anymore. Technology doesn't overheat. It doesn't have to be overhauled. There are no plugs to change anymore. Uh, Supposedly there are on cars, but you can't see them anymore. They're hidden under this, you know, shield that just says, it's got a logo on it and do not touch. And, uh, You know, now everything has this invisible operating system. And I have learned that if something is amiss or if something needs to be upgraded or changed, you have to go into the settings. You just go into the settings. Check the settings. Why aren't my emails getting through? Go check your settings. Why is all your email ended up in spam? Go check your settings. Why does my TV screen seem stretched out and everybody seems kind of weirdly shaped? Go check your settings. I've got video, but I don't have audio. Go check your settings. In Acts, the operating system of the church is the Holy Spirit the church is growing, the church is moving, things are happening, it's all operating, and the power and the guidance behind it is God's Holy Spirit. Now at this point we probably want to discard the metaphor. Because when we think about operating systems, we think about things that we can use to control the things that we love, even though they often end up controlling us, and that's a bad thing. So we'll discard the metaphor, because the place to change the settings for the Holy Spirit is not in the Holy Spirit. The place where we have to change the settings is us. In our hearts, in our mind, in our fellowship, we have to check our settings. I I, I have a word of God for you, and it's Acts 13, but before we get to Acts 13, you need to know that there's a little setup to Acts 13. Saul, later to be known as Paul, is on his way to Damascus to persecute God's people. And he's about to end up for some serious changes to his settings. Jesus appears to him. And he falls off of his horse. And he doesn't end up with a contusion or a concussion, but he ends up with a conversion. And later on, God has to explain this to the other people. It's, it's enough to convert Saul, but you have to explain it to people like Ananias why he's doing this. So Ananias also has to have some of his settings changed. His response to God is, God, you do know that this is the guy who's been sent out to kill all of us. And God says, yes, Ananias, I I know this. And He says three things. He says, first of all, this man that you call Saul, who will be known as Paul, he's my chosen instrument. The Holy Spirit's in control. He's my chosen instrument. He will be sent to the Gentiles. He will be sent to their kings. And He will proclaim the good news. He says the third thing, and He will suffer for it. He will suffer for my sake. That's not a punishment for Saul. It's just the reality that for something larger than himself, Saul's life and his suffering is going to have meaning and purpose. That's the background of Acts 13. And I'm going to just read you three verses out of Acts 13. Acts 13 says, In the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with the Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. We move ahead to chapter 13, and we're in Antioch. And it's a day of worship in the church at Antioch. They've come together to worship. They're fasting. It's a lot like what's happening in Acts 1, where they're just waiting. They're worshiping. And then the Holy Spirit makes the will of God clear to them. Now, I've just read you these first three verses because I don't want us to to move over them quickly like this is just introductory material so that we can get to the real story. Don't miss this because there's so much teaching here. It all begins at Antioch, this movement of God to the rest of the world. Sure, there had been the encounter of Peter and Cornelius, but if you really want to mark the point at which God is making it clear to His people that this is no longer something that's going to be limited to the nation of Israel, if you want to mark that moment, where where God's mission takes off into the rest of the world, then you need to note this moment in Antioch. And where does it all begin? It begins in the setting of worship. There's not some boardroom. There's not some planning room. There's not some war room where where Peter and, and Paul and Barnabas and the other apostles get together and decide to sit down and figure out what's going on. It's in worship. It's in a time of devotion to God. It's in a time where they're praising God for being worthy. It's in a time where they are listening to God's voice. We're also told there are prophets and teachers The there in Antioch. These prophets and teachers are mentioned because these are the ones who are responsible for discerning the will of the Lord. Now, you've got two roles named there. And I don't know if these individuals that are named, these five people who are named, two of them are are Barnabas and Saul. I don't know if they're prophets and teachers, each and every one of them. It may be that three of them are prophets and two of them teachers. Or one's a prophet, four are a teacher. You know, maybe some combination. Or it may be these five and it may be others. I don't know and it doesn't matter. And we're probably very comfortable with the term teacher. We get that. Prophet may scare us a little. Prophets in the Old Testament do strange things. They 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 look strange. They act strange. Prophets in the Old Testament seem to have some kind of incredible power too. And that makes us a little nervous, perhaps. But the point of saying that they are prophets and teachers is simply this. It has nothing to do with all of the work that God can do, but simply to say that a prophet is one who speaks on behalf of God. We read about prophets in Ephesians as well. That there are those messengers, there are those people who speak on behalf of God. So in this church in Antioch, they are equipped with people who can discern the will of God. And so the Holy Spirit communicates to them in this setting of worship, with the setting of prophets and teachers activated, the Holy Spirit communicates. And again, I know, Luke wrote, the Holy Spirit said, if you're going to ask me, did they hear an audible voice? Did the Holy Spirit, you know, did the voice boom out? Is it like, did it sound like Charlton Heston? What what happened here? Was there a radio message? Was it just them thinking, you know, this seems like a good idea? Did the idea come to different ones of them independently? I don't know the mechanics of it. And Luke doesn't elaborate, so let's not worry about it. The point is that the Holy Spirit communicated. Luke does not want us to focus on the verb here. He wants us to focus on the noun, that the subject of this sentence is the Holy Spirit. And this idea, this movement to set apart Paul and Barnabas, to separate them out, it comes from, not from Barnabas, not from Saul, not from Antioch, but it comes from the Holy Spirit. And the church at Antioch obeys. They set them apart. They affirm it. And then they send them out. Now... This Holy Spirit. Let me let me say a few things real quick, because you're going to need to know this for the next few weeks. First of all, I want to affirm to you: yes, there is a Holy Spirit. And um, just because we cannot control it or even explain how it's there or how it functions, it is there. I want to establish a few other things too. Holy Spirit did not expire in the first century. It didn't retire in the first century and then say, "Ah, "That's it." I'm out of here. All right. There's too many verses in Scripture that will show you that. Roy Donovan has done some writings to show uh, how the Holy Spirit. David Chadwell has too. There's a lot of good material out there. And again, this is a conversation we don't have time for right now. If you feel differently about that, that's fine. I just I just want you to think through these things, and, and we can talk. Some of you may. Let me say this. Second thing. Holy Spirit did not become obsolete when the Bible was written. There's no tension between the Word and the Spirit. You don't have to have one or the other. It's not an A or B choice. They work in conjunction with one another. All right? And, and, and uh, there's a Bible at the time of, the, uh, of Barnabas and Saul. We call it the Old Testament. They just called it the Bible. They have Scripture. Later on in Acts 15, you'll see them use both Scripture and the Holy Spirit. And I think that can still be done. The Holy Spirit also, though, I want you to know this. It's far more than magic or superpowers. Sometimes we get this idea that the Holy Spirit is some sort of like, you know, super ability. I've got special Holy Spirit power and I can do things that you can't. That's not how it functions. In fact, you'll see that the Holy Spirit is far different than what the world calls magic. It's not just make-believe. So there is something real to this. Now, now, you may have different responses to this. You may be thinking, good, I'm, I'm glad you said that. I've never heard anybody say that there is a Holy Spirit. Well, I'm saying it. You may still be a little uncertain about that. You say, okay, I hear some of the things you're saying. I'm not completely sure about all of it. That's okay. I'm not 100% certain about Holy Spirit stuff myself. But I think there's plenty of room for us to talk. And I think there's a lot of good things that we can know and we all have room to learn. Some of you may be thinking, why are you even taking the time to say this? And I would say to you, God bless you. If you don't know why, don't worry about it, okay? You're, You're okay. Everybody's okay. But we all have something to learn. And so I want to ask us, what is our Antioch setting? Because I think we could be a lot like the church at Antioch. It's, It's one of our traits that we want to be like the first century church. I mean, Luke is writing this for a second generation of Christians. And even as he's writing it for Theophilus and his generation, the message is, you know, there were some things going on in that first generation that I think you should pay attention to. And I think that that's good for us to look at that now. We don't want to just imitate them to the point that we slavishly do everything that they did. But we want to ask if we could pick up their personality and traits, if there's things that we could learn, what would those first century things look like in the 21st century? And I think one of the things is is that, uh, well, you look at a few things that we've learned just recently. We support and send out missionaries. Antioch is a good church to look at for, for a church like West Arts. Because we're responsible for affirming people and sending them out and supporting them. And we know that we have people in the mission field who've who've spent a lot of time listening to what God wants them to do in their lives. And we've affirmed their calling and we've affirmed their mission and we we support it. Uh, we, We worship and minister just like they do in Antioch. I mean, again, that's why I don't want us to skip past those first three verses. When we come together and worship... We're doing more than just holding a ritual. This isn't just something we're supposed to do so that we can kind of muddle through and show up and make sure that everybody knows that I'm okay and you're okay and I was there and I got my check mark on the on the list. This is an opportunity. This is, this is a habit that we form. I know that sometimes when when, when Holy Spirit language is used, I, I tune out. Because, you know, just the idea of feeling the Holy Spirit, sometimes I'm not sure what, what does the Holy Spirit feel like. Sometimes I don't feel anything. I don't know what I'm supposed to feel. I don't mean that about anything. Yeah. I think a lot. I don't know that I feel a lot. I, you know, I think about the Holy Spirit, but that's not the same as feeling the Holy Spirit. What am I supposed to do? Well, again, let me say this. Don't let that make you nervous. You may be experiencing the Holy Spirit in ways that you don't even realize. Sometimes um, uh, if, you, if you practice um, certain habits exercises, uh, skills. Maybe you're practicing a sport. Maybe you're practicing a martial art. Then all of a sudden you realize that those things become kind of natural. They become instinctual. Some of us may be experiencing the Holy Spirit and you don't know that you have and it's always been there. And and we just need to learn how to name that and appreciate that. The processes of life go on all around us and we benefit from those. We benefit from the Holy Spirit in the same way. So when we worship, we're cultivating the habits of Of the Holy Spirit. We're cultivating those habits that tune our settings to the Holy Spirit. When we are involved in ministry, when we're doing things, we are involved in the habits that attune us to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not just limited to our hearts. It is working on our hearts. It's also working on our heads and our hands and all of us. And it's working on our community, our one another being. We have leaders like they do in Antioch. It's another good reason to look at Antioch. But you can look at all these things, these structural things. Antioch sent out missionaries. We do too. We worship and minister. They did too. We have leaders. They did too. And we can look at it and we can see that, that we're, we're, we're organized maybe in the same way and set up in the same way, but do we always feel the same way? Here's a question for us. And it may be different for each and every one of us, but there may be times when as a church we can answer one way or the other. Are we fired up or worn out? At Antioch, they were fired up. I'm not saying it was easy and I'm not saying it was a pep rally, but they were fired up. They were ready. They were paying attention. Some things are about to happen From Antioch. It's gonna start at Antioch and it's gonna, it's gonna spread out and it's gonna turn the world upside down. Sometimes we involve ourselves in a lot of activity and it wears us out. And we feel like we're doing a lot, but are we accomplishing anything? This is one of the reasons why I want us to take the time to look at Acts because I think that the Word of God, I think that the Spirit of God is calling us to rely on Him. Rely on His Holy Spirit. Because we can get so focused. I know I can. You can too. But as a church, we can focus so much on our resources, on our abilities, on what we can do. And have we spent time in prayer? Have we spent time fasting? We'll get to that in a second. Have we spent time really paying attention, changing our settings to tune in to the Holy Spirit? to pay attention and listen to the Holy Spirit and then rely on God's Holy Spirit to give us the power and energy that we need and the direction and the guidance to do not just the right thing or the good thing, but the godly thing. Have we spent time in true worship or have we just spent time managing worship? There's four things that we can learn here and I want to share these with you. The four things from Antioch that I think would be good for us is number one, Set aside, this has to do with our setting. set aside time and space for the Holy Spirit. If we don't set aside that time, then, then how are we ever going to do anything? First of all, the prayer and fasting, the worship and the fasting. Fasting, I know, can seem very ritual and very old and ancient. And I don't know that fasting and skipping meals is necessarily what we need to do. It'd do some of us some good, you know. Uh, It would do some of us some harm. You won't get the Holy Spirit. You'll get the grouchy spirit if you skip a few meals. And we don't want that, okay? It wreaks havoc on people, maybe seriously, because of their health, you know. You can't do that. Fasting, don't limit fasting here to just skipping a meal. They were doing more than just skipping a meal, they were setting aside distractions. You see, there's a lot of activity that goes into preparing food, making food, serving food, eating food. It's not any, you don't have a McDonald's culture. So they can't just go by and grab a taco. So we gotta go do something else, you know, somewhere. They, they have to take time. So what they're doing is they're setting aside that time. They're giving up that time to take care of the functions of, of, of eating and getting together. And they're focusing on God. Now, I ask you, what would be the equivalent of that for us? I know that our college students set aside time where they, dis- they, they put away the distractions of electronics. And there's been benefit from that. Some of you have put aside other distractions. You know, some of us, we want to go on retreats. Our youth group's going on a retreat in November. One of the reasons that we're doing that off-site rather than on-site, I, I, I'm pretty sure, is because we want to get away from distractions. You have to do that. If we can't set aside distractions, and I'm not talking about kids crying in worship and all that kind of stuff and everything else, all right? Praise God for that. Bring the kids in here. We need them in here. Where else do you want them? All right? That's going to we're going to be okay. I'm talking about putting away the distractions that vie for our time and draw us away from God. That keep us focused. We can have ongoing meetings and activities and work all week, focusing on the work of the church, and never once spend time in prayer. Never once ask what God wants. Now that's a distraction. Because what happens there is we put our human motivation up above God's work. Sometimes it would be better for us to just say, I don't know, but God does, so let's be quiet and listen to what He has to say. So, you've got to set aside the distractions to make time and space for the Holy Spirit. But you also have to set expectations. They were attentive to their worship. And I think we need to give attention to our expectations of worship. If our expectations of worship are just to show up, to do the five acts, and then go home, you're going to get what you expected, maybe. Honestly, though, I think, you know, I've said that for years. I really honestly think that what we do end up with is we, we, we end up with kind of a critical spirit. Because we want to know whether or not it, it, it matched our expectations of play. You know what you end up becoming? You end up becoming those two old Muppets that sit up in the balcony of the theater on the Muppet show, you know. Siskel and Ebert worship. You know. I don't like that the preacher used the Muppet Show as an example in worship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's okay, because I'm not sure I liked it either. And, uh, but the expectations for worship, it's not in the script by the way, the expectations for worship need to be, can God change me today? Can He use us? Or maybe the expectation for worship today is, is not always on ourselves. Sometimes I have to do this because I think about how am I going to preach this? How am I going to make this move? And then I stop and I throw the notes out and I say, forget it. I want to know what the people are going to hear. And so I'm going to leave something. I've got to leave some space. I've got to leave something open for God to work. We have to be waiting and open to God's Spirit. Maybe your point in being in worship today, your purpose in being in worship today, is, is to see that somebody else gets affirmed. By God today. Isn't it interesting? Again, don't ignore these three verses. There are prophets and teachers at Antioch. Who are they? Real quick, name them. Who are they? Don't look. Barnabas and Saul and, yeah, see, those other three. Johnny? No. Um, yeah. You got Lucius, Manaean and Simeon. And something said about each of them. Why are they in there? They're not sent out, but they do get to lay on hands and send out Barnabas and Saul. You see, when we change our expectations to worship, we're one another. I've said this before and I'll say it again. You know, I, I, I share this with those of you who say, sometimes I can worship God better. I can, I can get closer to God when I am alone and when it is quiet and there's nobody else there. I understand what you're saying to me. Some people are worshipped in today in the deer woods, God bless them. OK, I hope God speaks to them. And, um, you know, but here's the thing as wonderful as all that is. And I appreciate it. I'm not putting it down. There's just one thing missing. I came to realize about that quiet alone time when I go to God and worship. That one thing is you. You're not there. And when we're not together, we're missing Something. I think that was the message in our in our in our youth group meeting this morning. And, and by the way, Rick has those 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 uh, brochures and papers. Some of you weren't there; you couldn't make it there. You had to teach or something else, or that's fine. But I do want you to check in on that because without being together, we're missing out on something. Without that kind of fellowship, we're missing out. We need to change our expectations of work. First thing we learn. Second thing we can learn from Antioch is we need to be set up with prophets and teachers. Now these are more than just church officials. We're not just putting church government in place so we can have somebody filling a slot. Whole time, when I was growing up the the career the one career that I remember my father having was he was in the he was in the army. And of course I would follow ranks with him, you know, I'd look at that. Now you know I don't know. He was enlisted and he was always anywhere between an E6 and an E8 and all this kind of stuff and I'd say, you know, dad, when are you going to be a captain? You know, and he's like, you know, I don't, I don't get there, son. You know, I'm like, come on, you know, can you be a colonel? I like the little bird. You know, and he's like, no, it doesn't work that way. Of course, I didn't understand how it worked. I just wanted to see him run up the, you know, run up the, the list of ranks, run up the pyramid. And he would tell me, yeah, it doesn't work that way. I can't do that. Well, even when I started to understand it, he said it has to do with what slots are available. I'm like, what? You know, aren't you supposed to? I mean, isn't this like getting an A in, in school? It's not. It's not like that at all. Leaders in the church are not about what slots are available, okay? It's not about open positions. Now, sometimes there's an opportunity to serve. Like, did you check your your bulletin? There's an opportunity to serve in Laundry Love. That opportunity, God may choose to fill that, or He may not. There are leaders who help us discern the will of God. There are certain things that are, that are vital in leadership, and we need people who will help us discern what God wants us to do so that we can affirm others in ministry. These are more than just church officials that we need to put into place. Because we're not done just because we identify people who can do this work. We need prophets and teachers, in other words, these people who discern the will of God, so that they can help us cultivate the work of those who are going to do God's work. We need somebody to say, yes, this is a godly thing. Now, our elders do that. We have godly men and women here who do not necessarily have a title like elder or deacon, but they help us do that. So we have many types of teachers. We have wise counsel. And we pray that all of that comes from the Holy Spirit. But listening as well as speaking is a spiritual gift. That's why I want you to know this, that when I'm preaching to you, I'm not so much interested in getting out my sermon. You always hear more in this sermon than I ever intended to preach. Why is that? Because of the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, when the apostles are speaking in tongues, is the miracle that they spoke in different languages? Read Acts 2 carefully. Everyone heard in their own language. See, the Holy Spirit is not just operating on the tongues of the speakers. But he's also listening on the ears of the hearers. And so I want you to set your expectation, whether it's the sermon or whether it's a class that you go to, whether it's time that you spend in prayer today with others, I want you to set your ears to hear what God is saying. The process of discernment goes between both the speaker and the hearer. And we can cultivate the habits of prophets and teachers among us. And the third thing is, I want you to know, that always happens in the context of the church. The setting for the Spirit is the church. The role of the community is important here. Now, Saul was confronted by Christ when he was on the road to Damascus. Well, why didn't he do that in worship? Because Saul wasn't going to be a part of Christian worship at that point. Later on, the will of God begins to unfold as Saul comes into contact with people like Ananias. And God is speaking to Ananias, and God is speaking to Saul. And God is speaking to Peter, and He's speaking to Cornelius. And God is drawing these people together. This is one of the reasons why we need one another. And it's in the setting of the worship at Antioch that the community, it becomes clear that the church discerns the work and the will of the Spirit Together, The church affirms the work and the will of the Spirit. So that when these things happen, there's this laying on of hands. And that's the church's way of saying we affirm this. When we have baby blessings. One of the reasons we do that is because we have parents who say, I want to raise godly kids. And so we have the people of this church say, we affirm that. if you were at the youth meeting this morning, one of the things that we affirmed is we want to continue to nurture our children as they grow older. And one of the things that we do in our gatherings and fellowships there, and we can do more of this, is to affirm that. That's why we have some of the special worship services that we do from time to time. But it's not just those times that we get to do that. It's today. And when we get dismissed here, we're not leaving worship. There's somebody you need to encourage. The worship continues. This is still the church. This is still the setting for the Holy Spirit. And ask yourself, what word, what What encouragement, what laying on of hands can you be a part of to affirm someone? That can be more important than we often realize. And again, you maybe didn't know that that was the work of the Spirit. Well, it is. They had in Antioch a listening, affirming culture. They had a culture that cultivated the presence of the Spirit. And if we want to be like them, this is one of the things we can learn. The final thing we can learn, though, is... That it doesn't end with just affirming the Holy Spirit and everybody saying, gee, wasn't that great? We laid on hands. There's obedience. These three verses in Acts 13 end in obedience. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them to. Now you go back to Acts 9 and you know what that work is. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be suffering. And it's not easy for Antioch. I mean, think about it. Antioch is losing 40% of its prophets and teachers in this move. I don't think we're going to survive in Antioch if we do that. They may have thought that. They may have worried about that. They may have been very anxious for Barnabas and Saul to return. But they were giving up a lot in Antioch, but they were trusting that God would provide. There are going to be hard moves that we have to make as a church. There will always be hard moves that we have to make. And it's not going to be easy. We may not like it. But if it's obedience, what's the alternative? What's the alternative? Well, I think we'd just rather do things our own way, God. Because we like what you're talking about, but we don't like the path that gets us there. Do you have an alternative to the cross? No. Jesus says, whoever would follow me must take up his cross. And follow me. We must be willing to lay down our life. Obedience and discipleship are not always easy. You look at when Paul and Barnabas go back after this first trip, and we're going to see this, and then they go back through and they visit with all those congregations, and they start teaching them how to cultivate the Holy Spirit in their leadership. And one of the messages that they have in 1422 is it is through suffering. That we follow the path into the kingdom. I mean, they make it clear. It's not easy. Not easy for those who are set apart, like Paul and Barnabas. And not easy for those who are doing the setting apart. Sometimes we have to overcome worry and our our desire to control things. Now, it's not easy. But it is amazing. I mean, if we can just make that first step. What we may get in return, it can amaze us. I mean... They leave the comforts of Antioch. They leave the familiarity of Antioch, and it is a tough road. They go back to Barnabas' old, old hometown area of, of Cyprus, but even still, they run into some things that they're not prepared for. They run in, they, you know, they preach to kings. It's amazing. They preach to rulers. It's amazing. They even run up against evil wizards. It's amazing. But they see the work of God. They see the power of God. We tend to think that here in our 21st century land of modern technology, and now we have the written Bible right here that experts can study, that those kind of amazing things just don't happen anymore. Maybe those amazing things don't happen and we're not told because we haven't decided to be set apart. Maybe we haven't taken the risk of setting out for God's sake. Maybe... It's because we're not as obedient as we need to be. It's not always easy to follow Christ. But it is always amazing. Let us cultivate the habits of listening to God's Holy Spirit. Maybe as, as we've been you know, talking here today, you've been left with more questions than answers. I won't apologize for that. I will tell you that I don't have all the answers, and that's no revelation, but I will say that maybe you have a question. And that question that you have, or that that wonder that you have right now, that may be a good thing, and you may need to share that with someone today. Not just for your sake, but for our sake. Because maybe... Maybe God is putting you in a place where we come together and we discern what God is doing among us. So I ask you to be bold enough not just to just keep it to yourself, but to share it with others today. Be prayerful about it. Now one of the things that we do in this worship time is we have elders who are going to stand up here. You're going to see some guys move up here. Those are our shepherds. They want to be here. They're they're, they're prophets and teachers. They help us discern the will of God. They're also in room 100. we're we're interested in praying for whatever need you have. We're interested in helping you be obedient through the first step of baptism and then every step thereafter. But we're also interested in other things that you may need. Let's stand. Let's sing. Don't be afraid to let us know if there's some way you need to respond this morning.